Hey, it's John Canzano. I'm here with John Wilner of the Bay Area News Group. We've got a special Thanksgiving week edition of Canzano and Wilner, the podcast. What's better than one, John? Here's Johnny. Hmm, nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Canzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. Hey, I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. Get a free subscription. Get a paid subscription. I always say whatever works for you works for me. I am here with John Wilner on this Thanksgiving week with a special Thanksgiving edition of the Canzano and Wilner podcast. Wilner, how do they find you? Bay Area News Group is the mothership. Pac12hotline.com, and we are available at media outlets across the Pac12 footprint. We got Thanksgiving. We're recording this, uh, what, three days Four days ahead of Thanksgiving break, a lot of things to be thankful for. How about you? Yeah, let's start that. Let's go. Let's give one thing that we are personally thankful for, and one thing in uh, you know we're thankful for that relates to the Pac-12 conference. And and if you're listening to this, uh, tweet at us. Tell us what you're thankful for too. Uh, you can find me at John Canzano BFT on Twitter, and you can find uh, Wilner at Wilner Hotline on Twitter. Uh, let's start here. Uh, I'm I'm thankful. Look, I've got three daughters, and um, you know, anybody out there who's got multiple daughters understands that, uh, you know, they're all different. They're all special in their own way. It's just amazing to uh, be the be a dad of three daughters. I love being a girl dad. But my oldest daughter is away at college, and, you know, we're going to get to see her on Thanksgiving week. And so I'm thankful that, nice. you know, it's very – it feels less and less frequent that I can have all three girls in the same room. And sometimes when that happens, I just kind of sit back. I get kind of that uh, that vision, that help defense vision, where you're, uh, where yes. I see all three all three of them in the same place, and I'm just that they'll all be in the same room. I mean, my world will be in one place. So I'm thankful for that from a personal standpoint, and um, I'm really thankful from a Pac-12 standpoint that we came out of a, a big weekend for the Pac-12. We had two games that were decided by three points each, with the USC UCLA game and the Oregon uh, Utah game. And Pac-12 officiating was not the storyline. And I'm thankful for that. And I don't mean that as some backhanded slap at the Pac-12 offices. Like, I'm thankful that it appeared that the games were settled on the field, that the mistakes were made were like, hey, you know, one team was better or this team played better or this team, you know, didn't get quarterback play. And, you know, I was just – I'm thankful that the Pac-12 officials kind of got a week off in what could have been a critical point of the season – there was no apparent blown calls. They weren't the storyline. I'm thankful for that. Yeah, they got lucky, right, with the UCLA field goal. If the UC, if the they because they had the uh, substitution issue, so they took the points off the board for the Bruins. But UCLA made the second kick, so that and they got. You're right. They got lucky and they got through it. Those two huge games. Now they got one more weekend, really. Uh, plus a championship to get through without some kind of major gaffe. Um, you know, I am thankful that my kids uh, in their first normal school year, basically since COVID, are doing well and well-adjusted because certainly in the Bay Area, you know, the, treated COVID and the protocols and school situation different than other parts of the country. And uh, it's been rough for a lot of kids here, real rough. And uh, I am thankful my kids are doing okay. That's for sure. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, I think, you know, after the last couple of years, I think just, uh, you know, especially with kids that are in those formative years, it's 
you know, these, the, I think it was really hard on kids. I think it, socially it was hard on kids. I think, you know, their friendships to, were strained. And obviously uh, the grind of school, you know, I can't imagine going through um, what the, what kids have been through in the last couple of years. So, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm on board with you there. What about Pac-12 from a Pac-12 standpoint? What is John Wilner thankful am, for? I am thankful that this whole media rights deal is coming to an end because it has been a long slog since June 30th. And I have to think that sometime, I don't know if it's first week of December, second, third week, but they are much closer to the end of this than the beginning. And then once they get through it, you know, things are a little bit more normal. However, it ends up, it'll be over. We can uh, focus a lot more on, at least for me, focus almost entirely on, uh, you know, the the competition, because it. I certainly have not been able to devote as much uh, time and energy to the actual competition and to the, you know, the daily uh, ebbs and flows with all 12 teams, uh, not nearly as much as I have in the past because I've always got one eye on on the existential crisis. So thankful that is coming to an end. Yeah, and I think, too, it's, it's really interesting to me that I, I don't remember fans being tuned into this kind of stuff. It's kind of like you know, if NBA or NFL fans or Major League Baseball fans were tuned into the collective bargaining agreement, like it's that's not why we get into sports. It's not why we follow sports. But I think a lot of fans in the Pac-12 footprint who are listening to this podcast are way tuned in to what's going on with media rights, what's going on with realignment. And this is supposed to be our diversion. This is supposed to be where we get away from all that crap, uh, you know, a bad boss or uh, you know, somebody's sick or, you know, uh, you got a you got a migraine and you're supposed to escape into your sport. So it, unfortunately, the, the Pac-12's business has at times in the last five months felt more like work than play. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. I, some of that's because of social media and all, a lot of the stuff that takes place behind closed doors and has been completely out of public view in the past is now out there for public consumption. I think that's part of it. And and nothing, you know, drives interest, I, I found, like realignment, because, you know, your conference, what you where your school is based, the conference your school is based is means so much in terms of your identity and your ability to succeed on the on the fields of competition. Fans get into realignment more than anything else anything else recruiting wins and losses uh and this has has for the pac-12 gone on since you know since june 30th so it has been a, a long time and i think a lot of people thought it was going to be over by now but the these deals take time we've mentioned the big 12 big 10 took six months to get their media deal wrapped up pac-12 what are they coming on five here five full months so should end soon yeah and i think uh we'll all look at that and we'll be thankful for that let's Let's talk about the weekend and wrap up the weekend a little bit. Uh, we had some big games, some big outcomes. Uh, USC has guaranteed itself in a spot, at least one of the two seeds in the conference championship game by virtue of their win over UCLA. Um, I, I don't think you were surprised at all by the points that were scored. It was a few more than I anticipated. And I just think the better quarterback uh, play won that game. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the interception right before halftime, I think is really where the game got tipped. And USC ended up getting a field goal in that possession after the turnover. I think if UCLA had driven down on that possession and scored, it would have been a very different game. But how did you see USC-UCLA? 
Well, I was disappointed. I was counting on hundred points being scored. Uh, <laughs> so they let they let me down a little bit there. I, I was shocked that SC was shut out in the first quarter. Uh, but they they had what fifty two points in the second half, so that that made up for it a little bit. Look, terrific offenses, not terrific defenses. Uh, I agree with you about better quarterback play. I think that goes hand in hand with defensive opportunism, though. I mean, the Trojans have twenty four takeaways and four giveaways this year. It's an absurd turnover margin, and to me, that is actually the thing that has. Su- that has surprised me about USC, right? I figured they'd be high-powered on offense, figured their defense was going to be wobbly, and I didn't expect them to be sitting at 10-1 and one right now. And and the reason what I didn't foresee was that they were going to be so opportunistic. I mean, you got your plus 20 in turnover margin through 11 games, and you're going to, you know, you're going to be 10-1, and one, especially when you got a quarterback like they do. Yeah, and I have to give Lincoln Riley and his staff credit because – it has felt like I did not think they would be sitting here with one loss going to their final uh, game of the of the regular season. Uh, they play at Notre Dame. We'll talk about that later. But I I thought they'd have some growing pains. I thought their uh, their line on both sides, defensive and offensive lines, switched around. I didn't think that they made the changes that were necessary. So I got to give them a ton of credit. Caleb Williams has been great. They've overcome some injuries like everybody else, but uh, they have themselves in position and. They are relatively healthy uh, compared to some of the other top teams in the conference. And, and you yep. know, Utah and Oregon are two of those teams that played each other at Autzen Stadium. I was at that game. Hate the 730 kickoff. Can I just say that one more time? I didn't get home till three. I got home at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, after were you I, able to feel your extremities uh, on the field there at the end? At the end, it was 27 degrees on the field and, and I it was cold. And I, uh, look, I'm not complaining, but I, you know, you're looking out onto the field and you're going that, you know, this isn't ideal. This isn't where things should be decided that, you know, I, I just think the PAC 12 is, I hope in this next media rights deal ends up with far fewer 730 kickoffs. Maybe they take better control of that. Maybe with Amazon or somebody else involved, they, they just have some of those kickoff times that aren't so bad, but it, you know, it was a really hard fought game. I thought it was really interesting to kind of watch Oregon maneuver a week after getting pantsed essentially by Michael Penix Jr. and Washington's offense. I suspect that Dan Lanning had a much larger role in Oregon's defensive game plan. It's just some some of the comment in the postgame news conference, he was being very careful to kind of give credit to the team and the staff, but I was watching Lanning on the sideline, and anybody who watched the broadcast knows that he was in there and more animated than he has been all season long with the defense on the sideline. And just thought it was really interesting to see him get involved. Uh, Bo Nix, just guts. I mean, it was gutty. Uh, clearly something's not right with Cam Rising at Utah. You can tell he's not right. He has not been the same in the last couple of weeks. They have taken uh, his run game attack out of the offense altogether. And they're just, uh, you know, it was really interesting to see Oregon kind of MacGyver it with Bo Nix, not at 100%. They just kind of had him sitting on a stool back there throwing passes. And then Utah, you could just tell, you know, Cam Rising was off. And he's just – there's something not right with him right now. Yeah. I mean, it's tough to be right two years in a row, right? Utah just was steamrollered everybody last season, the second half of last season. It's hard to to recreate all the – the little things that you need to develop a big thing. 
Uh, but it was interesting how, you know, some of the best quarterbacks in the conference had real tough days. Robinson, Thompson Robinson, three picks. Cam Rising, three picks. Jaden Delora, four picks. I mean, Nick's threw one. Caleb Williams threw one. It pressure high-level games. And uh, certainly the teams with the quarterbacks that made the fewest mistakes were the ones that won. I th- You know, you have to credit defense to some regard. But, man, it just shows you how important that position is in terms of limiting mistakes. Yeah, quarterback-centric game. I mean, that's where we are right now, and it kind of, you know, makes me think about Oregon State, one of these other teams. Like, Oregon State is, uh, you know, going to play a factor in the games that that happened this week. They will play Oregon, and, you know, Oregon State's biggest uh, weakness, their Achilles all season, has been quarterback play, and still they find themselves in position to uh, upset Oregon possibly on Saturday in a rivalry game at Reeser Stadium, and and potentially play a role in what happens. Now, you and I both spent a ton of time on Sunday morning uh, pouring through tiebreakers. Saturday night, Sunday morning. Uh, get, shout out to Jim Thornby with the Pac-12 who who uh, explained a few things to me. Uh, we have both tweeted out sort of the tiebreaker scenarios. But give me an idea with the upcoming games, Wilner. And and the tiebreaking scenarios that are on the table, kind of what you see forming on the horizon here in the final week of the regular season. Well, I mean, I kind of think Oregon's going to win. So, and if Oregon wins, it's pretty simple. Uh, they're in. If Oregon loses, then all of a sudden things get get complicated and get interesting for Washington and and Utah. Right? That's the that is the the hinge game. Washington is going to go into the Apple Cup uh, knowing what's at stake, right? Apple cup is seven 30 Oregon games at 1230. Everything's going to, you know, they're going to know the Huskies are going to know exactly what's at stake or what's not at stake when they take the field against the Cougars. So I, I just, I just don't know that Oregon state's got what it takes. And I know we can get into the games uh, later, but to me, that's the, that is like the tipping point for this whole tiebreaker situation. It's either very simple or it could get very complicated. They could end up going to the fourth, tiebreaker in the multi-team scenario which is essentially strength of schedule that's how utah would get in because utah's strength of schedule against common opponents would be better than oregon's and washington's that's how utah ends up getting in uh if the utes win but it's it could be bananas it's a great year for them to have gotten rid of divisions right think about all the the interest and drama that's going on, uh, and if it was just north-south, it wouldn't nearly be like this. Yeah, and, and look, I'm going to say not so fast on that Oregon State front. Uh, Oregon State is 10-1 in their last 11 at Research Stadium. Damn near beat USC earlier in the season. And if Oregon doesn't show up with a better game plan and a healthier Bo Nix, they're not going to get away with just sitting Bo Nix back there and letting him sling the ball around the stadium. Like Kyle Whittingham and Morgan Scally figured that out at halftime. And Bo Nix had 98 passing yards in the second half. Oregon really stalled in the second half. Oregon State's defense is better than Utah's defense at this point of the season. And Oregon State will not let Bo Nix sit back there. So I I really think there's going to be a question this week about how comfortable uh, Oregon will be able to get Bo Nix back there. And I think Oregon State will pin its ears back and come come after the quarterback position. I think think it's going to be a great game. But I think, you know, I saw the initial spread on this game. Was what was it seven initially? Like out of the gates, that sounds right. Yeah. All right. So that's too many points. Like it, Oregon State will play this game close. And I think if you're a Washington fan, if you're a Utah fan, 
you're obviously going to be tuned into that Oregon-Oregon State game because it's got some implications. But I will not be surprised if Oregon State wins that game. It's it's set up for them. They're getting guys back that, that they lost last week that weren't available. And we kind of know who they are on defense. And I think, you know, they will make things difficult on Oregon. So I think that is going to be a fantastic game. And uh, obviously it's got some implications as to who ends up in Las Vegas and whether or not USC is the one seed or the two seed. I'm John Canzano. You can get me at johnconzano.com. And with John Wilner, pac12hotline.com is where you find him. Bay Area News Group superstar. Uh, Wilner, let's start with the games. Let's, you know, you, you've kind of made your pick on that Oregon, uh, yeah, Oregon yeah, State game. I did. Um, you know, is there any way, like, is there any conceivable way you see Oregon State winning that game? Because I drove home from Watson Stadium last night thinking, if Oregon doesn't get Bo Nix healthier that Oregon State's going to blow that up. Like, they will not let him sit back there in the pocket like he's on a stool just kind of strumming a guitar. Like, it, they're not going to let him get comfortable. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think it's going to be a good game, too. Absolutely. But I just, you know, I'm not sure that it's a great matchup for the Beavers, right? The way to beat Oregon's weakness, we saw it last weekend with Michael Penix. They are susceptible to big-time passing games, which is why I think Oregon would be in trouble in a Pac-12 championship game against SC, but the Ducks can stop the run. And, you know, I just am not sure Oregon State's got the passing game, either the playmakers at receiver or the quarterback play to really take advantage and go up and down the field on the Ducks. Uh, So that, to me, that's the biggest thing. It's a style deal. And I just, I just don't know that it's a great matchup for the Beavers. I don't know. Beavers have that chip on their shoulder. Jonathan Smith's got that chip on his shoulder. You know, I, I said uh, last week that I thought Oregon State would beat Arizona State, but I didn't know if they would cover. Uh, after the game, Jonathan Smith reached out to me and said, did we cover? I mean, 31-7. <laughs> they have that chip on their shoulder, and I just think it's really interesting in a game like this. Um, and, you know, the collective for Oregon State is, is putting up a billboard about a mile from Autzen Stadium, basically a you know damnation Oregon State collective. I think we're going to get some buildup this year with you know a nine-win team playing an eight-win team with a lot at stake uh, at yeah. Reeser Stadium. I'm glad the game's at 12:30. By the way, all right, you too. Yeah, oh, me too. One of the yeah. important one of the important subplots to this whole season for the Pac-12, I think, and it's you know obviously you got the backdrop of USC and UCLA, and then we've got the on-field stuff with the playoff and all the teams, you know, ranked. But the way Oregon State and Washington State have both, you know, they are both good, uh, real good. And to me, that is an interesting subplot. Is it both those schools, which obviously have a lot more challenges than some of the some of the big boys, and they are, you know, both programs just do such a great job identifying, evaluating talent, maximizing their personnel, and uh, that, to me, has been real interesting to watch both of those teams. They have they have won game. They've won all the games they were supposed to win, and uh, and that's been a very interesting development. Yeah, if Oregon State had won that seventeen fourteen game against USC early in the year, yeah. like imagine what the picture right. for Vegas would look like going into this. Oh weekend. yeah, but I, that's a but that's the thing is that's a quarter that was a quarterback game. Yeah, right? they lost because yeah. they had, they were outplayed a quarterback, and I am not convinced that they're going to have the quarterback play this this coming week to win that game. That's it. 
you know, that's what it's all about in these kind of deals. And I'm, I have the same question about the Apple Cup too, which we can get to is who's got the better quarterback. Is it a foregone conclusion that Utah beats Colorado? Like, do like, are we both in agreement that Utah wins that game ten out of ten times? I mean, they win it at twelve out of ten. <laughs> Colorado has not covered a, a thirty point spread three weeks in a row. Kicking that is myself. Hard to do. They are terrible, terrible. And I, I think, I mean, I, it'll be over at halftime. I would assume. Let's jump to Washington, Washington State, Apple Cup, ESPN, seven thirty kickoff. The game's at Washington State. Um, I don't know who's going to win this game because I love Washington State's defense. I love what they're doing right now on defense, and I am fascinated to see strength against strength. Washington State, uh, their defense against Michael Penix Jr. and Washington's offense. Let's let's see this unfold. I, I will lean Washington because I just think they have more firepower, will make fewer mistakes on offense, but that's going to be a hell of a game, and the fact that it's in Pullman, look out. Oh, yeah. It, and it could end up snowing, right? The forecast calls for, right now calls for snow Sunday morning, but it could change. And, you know, it'd be something if it's like that 2018 game. Remember with the Minshew game, both teams were ranked. It was snowing. Like Chris Peterson looked like he had been frozen solid on the sideline. And, uh, you know, I, I think the the elements uh, could play a real a real role. And if it is bad weather, that's going to probably help the Cougars because they, you know, Washington's so dependent on the passing game. But I have the same question there. You know, is Cam Ward going to be up up for it, uh, not only to make big throws, but avoid turnovers, right? I'm fairly confident Michael Penix will make some big throws and will not make many big mistakes. But Cam Ward's been a little bit sloppy with the ball, and uh, Washington's been able to generate some pass rush. We saw that against Oregon. They can get some pressure on. So I just uh, – I would favor the, the Huskies in that, mostly because of the quarterback play. Yeah, I'll make my official picks at johnconzano.com on Wednesday. I know you'll do yours as well. Yep. Um, let's talk about Notre Dame at USC. That's the 430 game on ABC. Uh, that is a, uh important game, obviously, uh, in the big picture nationally, as if USC wins that game, and again, they're hosting that game, yeah, they win that game, they are uh, positioned well, I think, for a college football playoff spot. Like, they're in the mix, at least. And that has some tentacles that reach to other teams because, you know, I had some Utah fans reach out and ask, hey, look, if Utah makes the Pac-12 title game and USC goes to the college football playoff and ends up a conference champion and wins the championship game, would that mean that Utah automatically goes to the Rose Bowl? You know, so I reached out and I'm told, no, that doesn't mean they'd automatically go to the Rose Bowl in that scenario the Rose Bowl gets to pick the team and there's precedent for this when in 2016 when Washington went to the playoff that played Colorado in the conference chip game uh, the Rose Bowl uh, stepped past Colorado and picked USC to play Penn State so this is there's some precedent here I'm not saying they wouldn't take Utah Utah fans don't at me but I'm saying there's some precedent and it's not automatic so uh, in that scenario if you know Utah makes the title game or Oregon makes the title game or Washington makes the title game and uh, USC goes to the playoff, the Rose Bowl will still get the pick. Now, here's the question, Wilner. Does USC beat Notre Dame? Do they arrive at the at the uh, in Las Vegas sitting at 11-1? and one? Yeah, I'm not sure. Notre Dame's playing great. It's hard to believe that Notre Dame lost to Stanford and almost lost to Cal, right, a month ago, five weeks ago. Uh, they are playing much better. They're gonna they're gonna make USC work for it at the line of scrimmage. 
in a way UCLA did not. And they're going to slow the game down and keep Caleb Williams off the field with the running game. I think it's going to be a terrific game. And I, I think it's, to me, it's a, a total toss up. Um, and then it would be real interesting to see what happens if SC may, makes the playoffs. They certainly got a great break with Tennessee losing and with North Carolina losing this time of year, everything affects everything. And uh, that Tennessee loss basically takes, takes a second team from the SEC out of the playoff unless LSU beats Georgia, which is tough to see. But, you know, some context on that for Utah fans and others, context on that 2016 comparison, right? Because the Rose Bowl did take SC, but SC had beaten both of the teams that were in the Pac-12 championship game that year. They beat Colorado head-to-head and they beat Washington head-to-head. And my sense is that uh, the Rose Bowl will take the highest ranked team, second highest ranked team behind SC. Uh, And the playoff selection committee has been over the years, they do not like to punish the championship game losers and drop them down the rankings too far and then end up having them booted out of their, you know, uh, down the bowl ladder, right? The, The playoff selection committee has taken care of the conference championship losers. And I would imagine That'll uh, that will be the same thing. So whoever gets in that that game, if they lose to SC and SC goes to the playoff, I would expect that team to to make the uh, the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I kind of wondered though in a tiebreak situation if it was just you know especially if you get a team like Oregon that has a head to head win against Utah and Utah is that team and Utah played in the Rose Bowl last year. But then I think about how well the Utah fan base travels. And if I'm the Rose Bowl, I want all those Utes fans hanging out in Southern California, getting some sunshine, eating in restaurants, to, you know, driving rental cars, and uh, infusing uh, the economy of Southern California. Yeah. Uh, here's a question for you. I have for you, and I've been thinking about this. There's money in this if USC goes to the playoff. There's money in this for everyone, right? Because the that college football playoff money will be split equally among the uh, among the 12 members after expenses. Do you get the sense that the rest of this conference is rooting for USC at so, on some level or because that will mean money in their pocket or because USC has gone to the Big Ten in 2024, Wilner, um, do you think there's going to be a little anti-USC sentiment? You know, I think it's a little mixed, right? Everybody wants some money. I think it's, uh, what, $6 million if you make the playoff and that's split evenly. Expenses are handled through a different a different bucket. Um I think it's mixed emotions, right? They want to get that playoff drought wiped out, right? You know, the narrative of Pac-12 hasn't made the playoffs since 2016. I think a lot of a lot of folks want want that erased. Certainly, it'd be better for the Pac-12 if it weren't uh, if it weren't USC. But to me, it's better to get a team in the playoff than to have the drought continue. Arizona State, Colorado are still looking for coaches. You know, you may have a coordinator, a coordinator change at Cal. You may have some staff changes at Stanford. Doesn't sound like David Shaw's going to lose his job. You don't think so, do you? I mean, I think they're Bernard. I Mir- don't think so. I think he I probably. Think so, but we'll see. He, yeah. he has been very stubborn about not changing his coaching staff. And I don't know how he can keep, you know, that same approach. They have to make a change. Yeah, especially the way they lost to Cal. I mean, they just got boat raced in the fourth quarter. They had that game. And. Uh, and lost it anyway. I mean, really disappointing for Stanford. But Cal scored more points in the fourth quarter of that game, twenty-one, than Cal scored in five entire games this season. Yeah, it's sad. Stanford is, Stanford is back to where they were 
in a lot of ways before Jim Harbaugh got there. And I don't, I just don't know how they, how, uh, how they get out of that hole with the NIL and the transfer portal. Uh, uh, so impactful in today's very game. Tough. Um, and and, spe- and on that front, it's interesting to see the NIL collectives in the Pac-12 sort of organizing themselves. We could do a whole episode on this, but I think there's some real concern from uh, particularly Oregon State, Washington State, and some others that uh, they they don't want to be feeder programs for SEC schools, and they don't want to be feeder programs for USC and, 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 and UCLA. And so I think we're going to see uh, the Pac-12 collectives have an interesting off season. We'll address that in another episode. But how about the coaching changes and and the searches, especially at Arizona State and Colorado? Anything new on that front in your world, Wilner? You know, you hear a lot about the Colorado maybe hiring Bronco Mendenhall, the former BYU and Virginia coach. Uh, you hear, you know, Tom Herman. There's a lot of focus on the Buffs hiring a, a former head coach who's not currently on the sideline. Uh, but has been a proven winner, right? I just, I think that Colorado and Arizona State are in the same same boat. They both need youth, youthful energy. Someone who is just going to bust it with recruiting, uh, bust it with the transfer portal, hire some savvy coordinators. But they both programs need energy because they didn't have that. ASU had, you know, Herm Edwards kind of caretaker. Uh, and Carl Durrell, who is not exactly a high energy guy, and they both they need to go in different directions. And I wonder when you do hire a guy who's been out of the business, Bronco, whether it's Bronco Mendenhall, Tom Herman, who at Gary Patterson, you know how how much how hungry are they, right? Because these are tough jobs, and especially if ASU gets hammered by the NCAA, it, you got to grind. And I don't know that guys who are been head coaches and are now out of coaching are ready to come back and grind, right? That to me, that's the big question. I think yeah, it's interesting when you start talking about youthful energy and the transfer portal. And, you know, for Arizona State, Kenny Dillingham has been on that raid. And a lot of fans at Oregon don't want to hear this that, you know, Arizona State would probably want to interview Kenny Dillingham. But the question with Dillingham is going to be, you know, can he put a staff together? He, you know, he's one of the younger. He'd be he'd easily be the youngest Power Five conference head coach if, if he got hired. I mean, Dan Lanning holds that distinction right now at Oregon, and Dillingham's two or three years younger than Lanning. So, I think there's some question there about is it too much of a correction from Herm Edwards to go to Kenny Dillingham, and could, who would he bring in on his staff? And I, and if I'm Kenny Dillingham, look, y- you have to be really careful right now because you want to be seen by Arizona State as mature. You want to be seen as like you know being able to assemble a staff, uh, but he's also got a job to do here where he is trying to get Oregon past Oregon State and into Las Vegas to play for a conference championship. So I just think it's a really interesting watch from my vantage point watching Dillingham, who I think has done a fantastic job as a play caller. I don't know about him as a head coach. I just don't know enough about him. But Arizona State is going to want to talk to that guy. Oh, they will, and and the. Their ta- their pool of candidates may not be very big because everybody's waiting for the NCAA, and and I, it's going to be hard for them to get a proven winner who doesn't know what the you know what the degree of the sanctions is going to be. Whereas Dillingham, my guess is Dillingham would be willing to take that job no matter what, right? Partly because he's he's an ASU guy, he's a Phoenix guy, and he was looking for a head coaching job for the first time. So they may have a lot easier time convincing him to come in, even if they haven't heard from the NCAA. There's questions on both fronts, but if I'm Dillingham, 
I mean, he grew up there. He coached high school ball there. He's always been the young coach on every staff he's been on. If I'm him, that's the job I want. That's the job I would take and stay at. And so I think even if there are sanctions there, he might be the candidate who's willing to look past it. So maybe that's that's a win-win for Arizona State and, and Dillingham because it's probably going to eliminate some other coaches who are more established and have other options. We should, uh, before we go here, uh, in case readers are wondering, Pac-12 coaches vote on postseason awards and all-conference team after the conference championship game. And then the awards will be announced either Monday or Tuesday after the championship. But they have changed it a few years ago. They changed it so that they'll wait through the, the title game to see who wins before they uh, before they make their picks. You got any projections on that now that we've gotten through this huge weekend? I just I'm just I'm still curious to see, you know, will Lincoln Riley and USC and Chip Kelly and UCLA be penalized by other coaches who are upset about those two schools making the deal that they made over the summer. How will that factor in things? And uh, the Mario Cristobal halo effect, will there still will they penalize the Oregon players like they did under Mario Cristobal? I mean, it was evident when Justin Herbert is not a first-team or a second-team quarterback in your all-pack 12 teams at the end of the year. Come on, there's something going on. And clearly, I think the coaches in the conference – did not like Oregon at that time. Will they transfer that to Lincoln Riley and USC? But right now, my candidates would be Lincoln Riley, Jonathan Smith, Kalen DeBoer. Um, I think you got to put Whittingham in the conversation, but I don't think he can win it this year uh, just based on the performance in the Oregon game. And, and you know, if Dan Lanning gets to Las Vegas and Oregon wins that thing, how is he not the conference coach of the year? Yeah, it'll be. That's a great call. I, I think that you know, in some ways, DeBoer is the easiest pick, especially if they win the Apple Cup. And he's ten and two, comes in, takes over a four and eight team, gets him to ten and two. Uh, he would be the the pick of least resistance potentially for all the head coaches. Remember, they vote for. I believe they vote for two. So that's why you, you know, if you appear number two on enough ballots, you can actually win the thing, even if you don't get the the most first place votes. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, before we go, also, uh, thanks, my partner. This has been a fantastic, uh, what, three months? How many episodes did you say? Well, it is? I think it's episode 27, man. I'm having a blast. Thank you is for getting—I mean, we talked about doing this for months and months and months and years, and we finally said, all right, you know what? Let's sit down. Let's do this podcast and think, you know, it'd be—because we have these conversations all the time over the years, and— you know, it, and we've talked about stuff and we figured, you know, we might as well bring this to public. And I'm glad, thankful that you were persistent with that, Wilner. And uh, I feel lucky to, to to be part of this podcast. Yeah, as do I, as do I. And thanks to uh, very much to all our listeners uh, for these last few months. We appreciate all your support. Uh, we will be back on the other side of the holiday. Everybody hope it's safe and healthy for everyone. I am John Wilner, Pac12Hotline.com, Bay Area News Group. He is the fabulous John Canzano. Tell him where to reach you. JohnCanzano.com. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.